Hi, I'm Gemma and I'm an alcoholic. Hi. I just want to make sure online, can you hear me? Yeah, okay, great. I was on a meeting online this morning and I couldn't hear, so I just want to make sure you can hear. And then I saw the craziest Zoom bomber situation oh. I have seen in three years. So I just want to say whoever's keeping this meeting safe, thank you for the work you do. Um, oh my God, I've been having flashbacks all day. It was crazy. <laughs> Anyway, Gemma, alcoholic, and uh, my sobriety date is July 5th, 1996. Um, I'm uh, really happy to be here, and that wasn't always the case in every sense of the word. So um, I love that you started uh, start this meeting with They Stopped in Time, um, because I got sober when I was 19 years old, and um, it wasn't my plan. And it wasn't because I felt like I was done and it wasn't that I wanted to be here. It was that my mom was an Al-Anon and my dad was an AA and they thought I was going to die and they didn't want to pay for school because my mom said it wasn't a good investment. <laughs> and um, she just was like, you know, we just, it's a lot of sacrifice and uh, we just don't know if it's going to pay off. And um, I really understood that. Like, I bless you. I could, I got that, that I wasn't a good investment. But I sat in these rooms for a really long time. And I will back up and tell you my story. But I sat here for a long time. And there's a thing that people say to young people, like, I spilled more than you drank. And no one ever said that to me because I would have drank over it. <laughs> Definitely. I would have been like, I have a resentment. I'm out. Um, because that's what I do when I get a resentment is I hurt myself at you. And um, no one said that to me. They said things like, your bottom is when you stop digging. If you are questioning whether you're an alcoholic, that's usually something alcoholics do. Um, if you remember your first drink and it was like the lights turned on and you felt alive, you know, that's not something normies <laughs> necessarily experience. Like, um, the whole world makes sense, you know, like that's something we usually go through and, um, that like people don't usually stick around by accident and that if the medicine works, it's cause you have the disease. Um, and that anything that I heard in the rooms that I could just identify and not compare, you know, like identify with the feelings instead of comparing the stories. And if I didn't hear, if there was something I didn't do, which for me, there were a lot of things that I hadn't done and that to know that those things were my yets. And it talks about the thing about cancer and um, how like we, we understand that this is, you know, and I know that if I had cancer, I would want them to catch it early. But I was so sad that my alcoholism got caught early. You know, <laughs> I, I have a cousin who married a guy, like he drank, he, he lost his nose. And I, and I thought I should, like I could have drank till then, you know, till I like lost. Like then you know for sure, like you don't ever question because you lost a body part. Like, and so I questioned it. I questioned it and I questioned it and I questioned it for years, right? So I'll back up and I'll just say that um, I grew up in New York. Um, I had a mom who was a priest. Um, which was like so embarrassing. And um, everyone told me she wasn't a priest, that she couldn't be a priest. I'm like, no, like we're Episcopal, she can. And, uh, and um, I lived in a seminary 
you know, where she was going to school and everyone called it the cemetery. And, and uh, my dad was a therapist and like, they were happy and everyone else's parents were divorced. And like, I didn't have any siblings and everyone was like one of nine and like at two, but it felt like nine. And like, I just felt different than everyone. You know, I just felt on the outside of everything. And I had these, ter- I was the kid, you know, the kid that's allergic to everything that like, has to carry special food and yeah, that was me like I couldn't eat sugar and I couldn't eat chocolate and I couldn't have wheat and I couldn't have rice and I couldn't have like I couldn't eat anything so I had like special food and I was constantly cheating on it but then I would have these like hangovers like I'd get these dark circles under my eyes and and I would like and it was like it was like training because I had like candy and I would like you know put it in my bag and then like my mom would find it and she'd be like, did you eat this Kit Kat? I'm like, someone put it in there. I I have no idea. Like who would do that to me? You know, let me lay down for an hour. And um, I had, and my mom was in Al-Anon and you brought up the giving tree. My mom read that book once and she was like, this tree does not have good boundaries. (laughs) She wouldn't, so it wasn't allowed to have certain things. Like if the thing in the book didn't have good boundaries or she thought it was going to bring up questions about something she would you know um cut it out and um we had like I would talk about like I said like we had an hour every day where they like you know focused on how I was doing and what was going on with me and like you know if everything was okay which we called dinner but um (laughs) you know like it was a lot it was really it was like um I was very loved but it didn't make me feel it didn't fill up. Like I had this, uh, these inexplicable, like scary stories that are always playing and these incredibly big feelings. And I always wanted something, but the minute I got the thing, I immediately wanted something else. And I remember I wanted this bike. I wanted a bike for a really long time. And I wanted a dirt bike, which I actually didn't want a dirt bike, but other kids had a dirt bike. So I wanted a dirt bike, but I didn't, but I got one. And I was like excited to have the thing that everyone had. And then I remember, then there was like a soda. My friend was with me. I don't know why my dad would bring, he he brought a friend with me. I got a bike, she got a soda. Then I wanted a soda and I couldn't have one. And I just started crying and crying and crying. It was like, I do feel like it's that thing, like you could test for it. It's like, I had all of this, but if I didn't have this tiny thing, then I couldn't see all of this. I could only focus on the tiny thing I didn't have. And that can be true today. And it is, <laughs> um, if I don't you know, do a lot of stuff here to make it not true. And um, I got, um, I got, uh, I started drinking, honestly, like my first drink was when I was five. Um, I had been having a particularly bad five-year-old day. And um, <laughs> and like, because I grew up in like churches and my dad was sober. So I like started going to meetings. I've been in the room since I was five, either being with him or like being in a church, like um, while my mom was working. And there were these little, I don't know if anyone remembers these little booklets they used to have. They were like, they looked like cartoons. Um, I think it was called, it happened to Alice and it happened to Joe. Does anyone remember those? Anyway, they were like these little, and I'd read them every day, hoping it would <laughs> turn out differently for them, but they always ended up here. And, um, and, uh, and like, I was so afraid that that was going to happen to me, you know? 
and um, my whole drinking career was like the goal was don't end up in AA until you're really old, like 35, right? <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, um, I had my first drink when I was five. It was communion wine. And I just remember that I was having a hard day and I had wine. And like, I just was like, like I just, I had a spiritual experience. Like I had like a softening. I had a quieting of the mind and a softening of the, the feelings and the fear. And I, it felt like a hug. And I was like, you know, I joined the like altar guild that, you know, I was like, I want to be up there, you know? And, um, they, the priest had to tell me, you know, like you, um, you can't glug all the wine, like we're running out and the priest was my mom. So it was like awkward, you know? And, um, so, um, you know, like, I just knew that alcohol was going to be my solution. Like from the moment I taste, I just was like, this is it. I have a, I have a son. I'll tell two stories about when he was little. One is we went to communion one time and I, he didn't usually take communion, but um, this one day accidentally he, he did. And um, I was like, we had been separated. So he was like a little far away from me. And I, I saw it happen. And um, normally I, I would take us away early, but like, it was happening and I, I watched him take his like first sip of wine and I knew what my experience was, you know, and it was like a sort of like a car crash, you know, like, Oh my God. And, um, but I'd stayed calm, you know, and we walked back to our seats and I was like, I'm like looking for alcoholism, like for him to just break out in like uh, chain smoking on the way back to the seat. I don't know what I was expecting to happen, but I was like, I wanted to, I didn't. I wanted to be like, have you always felt like a square peg in a round hole, but like your <laughs> the edges are now shaved off, you know? And um, I didn't do any of that. I called my sponsor and um, he was fine, but uh, <laughs> for that day. But you know, like when you're a parent, kids say something to you, like, you know, at two, when I was like, you know, he'll be like, can I have an apple juice? And, and I'd be like, you already had one. And he'll be like, one is never enough. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, the other thing is one day he was in the backseat of the car and he was like, hey, mom, can you name two animals that are the same but different? And I was like, ah, sure. Like mm, squirrels and ferrets. And uh, he was like quiet. And I was immediately trying to think of more animals because I didn't know what game we were playing, but I wanted to win. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, do you ever feel like everyone's a squirrel, but you're a ferret. And I was like, oh, yes. I know that feeling really, really well. And like, I don't know what that question meant to him that day or what it means in general. I, I don't know. But I do know that I'm very well qualified to parent a kid that feels that way, whether it's once or always, because that is exactly how I felt. And it took my five-year-old kid to put into words how I felt at five. I was like, that's, a, that's like, I felt like I pretty much looked like everyone else, but I was completely different. I was a completely different species. Like that is exactly, and drinking to me didn't fix that. It just meant I didn't care. <laughs> like I didn't drink and go, oh, I'm a squirrel. I drank and I was like, I'm a parrot. <laughs> Here comes my top. I don't 
happy about it. And um, and I was one of those drinkers. Like it didn't matter how long I was at a party if it was five minutes or five hours. Something I did, something I said, made it to the discussion the next day. And that was like a point of pride for me. You know, like I'm the life of the party. And like I I'm the type of person who would like set myself on fire because I did once, like to, for a joke, you know? And I remember being really early in sobriety and I lived in New York City and I remember walking by and well, this is all so old, but like there was on the wall, there was a um, like a glass case that had everyone's name and apartment number. And like the case was open and there were these little plastic, like you see at churches, like these little plastic numbers and letters. And I remember having the thought like, watch me eat my name. And, um, and then I was like, oh, I'm sober. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to do that today. And that's the kind of thing that I would do, you know, like, watch me eat my name. Like, watch me step in this dangerous thing. Watch me, like, my friends in high school, like, my best friend got, like, best physique, but also why? Like, we were kids, but okay. And then the <laughs> other one got um, most beautiful, and I got most likely to fall down a hill and hurt herself, you know? And it was... <laughs> It was an award that I had to go up in front of my parents and accept. And, um, you know, they were concerned. So, and it was something I had, you know, just done recently. And um, so, you know, my drinking was, I was like, I couldn't drink. My body couldn't handle the way I needed to drink. Like it physically could not hold the alcohol that I needed to. And I, and I was like doing this sort of controlled drinking because I knew if I wasn't careful, I'd end up here. So I was like, it kept me from doing more. But then once I, once I started drinking, I couldn't stop. And um, I always thought that there was like, this was before the internet, but like there were all these, like I would hear, God, is that true? I think it is true. Yeah. Because we were, I wasn't really Googling anything. It was like, but I did hear that if you had like a tablespoon of olive oil or like if you put lemon wedges you know in your armpits like because I was always vomiting and I was always passing out so I would hear about these like remedies and I would drink like a bottle of Bacardi 151 or whatever I did this one night and um, I was in the sorority and anyway it was terrible and I went to work the next day and I worked in a restaurant that like the, the smells you know like just oh like being a waitress and like just everything smelled so much and um and I was trying to like I was the only waitress working I had a I just remember having this whole room full of people that like needed stuff from me and I couldn't stop throwing up and I remembered this thing that if you put lemons in your armpits that it fixed it and um and so I I went to like the water section I took the lemons that we normally put in water and I put them in my armpits and like, I waited for the miracle, you know? And it's like, I just feel like when people are like, can you turn your will and your life over to higher power? I'm like, well, I don't know. But I was willing to turn my will and my life over to lemon wedges, like, like, or like, just be like, what happens? Or every time I drank, I turn my will and my life over. Like everything I need to know in this program, all I need to do is like, would I do that for a drink? You know, and the lemon wedges, spoiler alert, did not work. I just coated myself in lemon juice. And, um, and you know, um, I was 
and vomit, and um, and uh, the dishwasher had to come and wait tables, and he got all my tips, and he wouldn't give them to me, and I thought that was rude because I was sick, you know, I had the flu, um, and so you know that's what that's what it looked like. That's like what my drinking looked like, and um, then I got sober, and I didn't want to be here, and I I went to um, oh god, like. I went to meetings like once a week, you know, and that's not a suggestion, but um, because I treated it sort of like therapy. And I remember at my, one of my first meetings, I'd, I'd gone like, you know, four or five times. So I had like however many, many days. And um, this woman asked me what I was doing. Like, what's your, what's your day like? And I was like, well, I sleep till um, one, I set an alarm. Um, then I watch, you know, days of our lives, then I take a nap, then I go to work, then after work, I go out with my friends and I order, um, they're all drinking. So I order, uh, a drink and I go over to the bartender and I ask them to put cranberry juice and club soda in a small glass so that it looks like I'm drinking. And then I sort of pretend with them. I stay with them and then I go home. And on Tuesdays, I come to this meeting. <laughs> and she was like, you're not gonna make it. <laughs> and I was so offended that she said that. And I was like, I will, I will show her. I'm gonna go to more meetings. I'm going to, you know, like I got sober at this woman to prove her wrong. You know, it's like the one resentment that I actually did healthy things for. It was like, and, um, and I was like, I'm going to go to two meetings a week and maybe I won't pretend to be drinking. Like, you know, whatever it was. And um, the crazy thing about, you know, she moved to, I, I moved away, whatever, like years go by, but she moved to Mauritius or something. And then I, in the pandemic, randomly, I'm at a meeting and I see her and I was able to say, I don't know if you remember me, but you told me I wasn't gonna make it. And I hated you for it, but next week I'm celebrating 24 years and it wouldn't happen if you hadn't said that to me, you know? And like, we get to, um, like it was such a, like a great thing to be able to thank her for telling me the truth, yeah. you know? And um, sometimes it's hard to tell someone the truth, you know, and it, it doesn't mean we have to do it in a mean way, but I wasn't going to make it. Like I definitely wasn't going to make it. And um, I remember going to meetings and like, I felt so sorry for myself. I was young. I didn't, I didn't have, you know, like I shouldn't have to be here. And like, um, and I, I did find a meeting called Never Had a Legal Drink, which also saved me. But um, yeah. but I remember like walking down, I had a crush on a guy and I like had written my phone number on some postcard and given it to him and he didn't call me, but of course, like it was, you know. And um, I remember walking behind this woman yeah. down like University Place and she was so beautiful, just random woman. And I just fixated on her. I was like, oh, God, if I looked like her, like he would have called and I bet she is like totally normal and can drink totally normally. And like, if only I could be like this person, like I just was so fixated on her and she like turned and I'm like, of course she's leaving, you know? And, um, and then like a block later, whatever, I go to my meeting and um, not only is that woman in the meeting, 
she's the speaker. And the beauty of the thing here is there's that story, that saying, you know, like, don't compare your insides to someone else's outsides. Like the beauty is that like, where else do you get to like, really hear what's going on with someone and really hear her story. And of course she also had alcoholism and she was also like struggling with dating. And she was all, like all the things that I would just normally say, like, you know, like I would be at a meeting and I would just like fixate on someone's sweater. Like if I had that sweater, you know, like if only I had that sweater, you know, and that sweater person would be like, if only I had your bag, like, where'd you get your bag? You know, it was just like, just this, like, I just need one more thing and then I'm going to be happy. Like, I just felt like there was just like a one thing away from happiness and I just, it's on the outside and I need to get it. It's just right here, you know? And so for a long time, that was a relationship. I just wanted to be in a relationship. And, um, you know, I don't know if anyone has, like, if you have a cat, if you've ever seen this phenomenon, but like where a cat, you have a cat. I think you just did a whole cat thing. So, you know, like, um, you know, when they do that thing where they like rub against the door and then they like have like an ecstatic experience. They're like rubbing against a door and they're like having this incredible experience. And, like the door is not participating. Right? <laughs> the door is not participating, but it doesn't matter to the cat because the cat is having its own thing going on, right? That was emotionally speaking, that was all of my relationships. Like, and like, I was just having situation after situation, like in AA, like having these whole like dramas and things. And I'd be like, I'm seeing someone. And my sponsor would be like, great. Do they know? Like, uh, and, and I, you know, like, I want to back up real quick and just say that like I wanted to drink every day for my first three and a half years of sobriety and and I called my sponsor one day and I was like I want to drink and she said where are you and I said I'm at the international AA convention true story <laughs> and she said oh well what are you gonna have and I was like I don't know and she's like well, where are you gonna get it and I was like I don't, I have a worse sponsor ever like what no I don't know and she's like oh I don't think you want to drink I think you want to feel better. Yes, I want to feel better. I want to feel better all the time. And my mind like connects like drinking with feeling better. Like I just want to feel better. And, um, and so, and then the other thing that like, um, you know, people used to say to me is like, we are going to love you until you love yourself. And I mean, that's kind of a weird thing. Like, if you think about it, it's like, does that mean that when you love yourself, we're like, oh, we're out, we're not. But like, it is a weird thing. But my experience was different. My experience is that, um, you know, like when I was a newcomer, I didn't know how to cook, but I knew how to shop. And so I would go and I would buy groceries. And um, then the, I wouldn't know, I'd get overwhelmed and the food would go bad. And I would go, I'm still this way. I go to a farmer's market and I'm like, I'm a chef. I'm going to buy this eggplant. Like, I have no plan. But, and then it all goes bad. And um Anyway, so this one particular time, like I bought this meat and um, I, I left it too long and it wasn't expired, but it wasn't pink. It was like a beige gray color. And, um, and so I was like, no, you know what? This, you deserve this because this is what you always do and you have to eat this because this is what you do. <laughs> so I go to like open it, I'm smelling it, like it's 
kind of, like it's not bad, bad, but you know, yeah. I'm like checking my calendar. Like, do I have time for food poisoning? I, I don't have any, like I don't have a lot of plans this week. Like I kind of do. And I cook it and it like does not smell amazing. Right? It's like, and you know, if you ever eat something, um, you know, when you're eating something and you're like with every bite, you're like, I think it's good. <laughs> that, I had a hint of uh, sour. And I thought about like my friend in AA, Sandy, who I loved. And I thought about, I had this voice. It was like, would you serve this to Sandy? And I was like, I would never serve this to Sandy. And then the voice was like, if you wouldn't serve it to her, then you shouldn't serve it to yourself. My experience is, yes, people absolutely loved me until I loved myself. But my experience is, I loved you until I could love myself. How I felt about you taught me how to treat myself. The most abusive relationship as, adult, as an adult that I've ever been in is with myself. There is no one that talks to me the way I talk to me. Not anymore, but like, you know, the way I did. There's no one who says the things that I, you know, said or would punish me. I have no sponsee that if they call me and they say like, oh, I got called in to, you know, work. Then I'm like, well, you're probably going to get fired because you don't deserve to be there. You know, like that's not something I would say. But anytime a boss ever wanted to talk to me, I'd be like, I'll just pack my box, you know, like, um, and uh and I, and I had this like really nice, like always, everybody hates you always, never. Like it was all this dramatic language. And that same sponsor taught me precision of language so that I would not say like, I always, everybody, I never say like, this person hates me or like, um, you know, like I'm a bad mom. That's a big one. Like, I felt like when I became a mom, like all the moms would like, they'd forget like snacks and they'd be like, mom fail, worst mom ever. And I'm like, I, I can't say that because I'll leave, like, I'll believe it, you know? And so I would say like, instead of like, I'm terrible at this, I'd say like, I'm new at this or I'm learning how to do this. And like that kind of simple thing, like just being careful of my language in that way is like a gentle thing, you know? And um, another cooking thing that happened in the pandemic is that I was making, um, this is really what that turning point happened. I was making an egg for my son and I do the soft boil and take the shell off. And when his dad does it, like the egg, just like the shell just flies off. And I did it and like each part of the shell ripped part of the egg. And, and like, it was like, and then it was overcooked in the middle. So it looked like a brain. And um, I was, it was the first week of the pandemic. And I just like looked at it and I was like, kill yourself. Like, like that's, that's my solution. Like my solution is like, kill yourself. And um, so I went online and I went to a Zoom meeting. It was like our first one, or, you know, like early. And so in, I shared about this, like how I felt like I wanted to die. And the chat fills with egg recipes. You know, did you try an ice bath? Did you try and like, and I was like, don't give me solution. Like I'm sad. And, and that's my experience when I was new, you know, like if you're new and you're coming here and you're like, you don't know what your work situation is and you don't know what your family situation is and you have legal problems or you have money problems. And we're like, just put away the chairs. It's like, ah, 
I don't think you understand what's actually happening. Like chairs aren't going to do it. Like we're like, you know, like I was like, I want to be in a relationship. You're like, write an inventory. I'm like, I, like in a club? Like what, how's that going to help me meet someone? And um, I didn't understand like the solutions that I was being offered felt so insignificant compared to the pain that I felt. I was like, that is not going to help me. But it did. And it didn't happen in one day. It happened slowly over time. And for me, when I have those feelings of I want to die or I want to drink, I replace it with I want relief or I want to feel better or, you know, I, I want a little bit of peace. And then that helps me to get into the solution. Because if I start to say I want to drink or I want to die, then I start to make a plan for those things or I start to get more depressed. It doesn't take me towards the light. It takes me towards the darkness. And there's this thing that it talks about in the book where it's like, beware of the deliberate manufacturer of misery. And for me, I manufacture misery when I focus on the problem. And I focus on the problem and I bring the problem to people like, I, not that everyone has to be in the program, you know, but like if I bring it to the person who's going to be like, where I'm like, I have jury duty. And they're like, throw it away. You know, like I, I know who those people are in my life. And I know the suggestions are good when my sponsor says something and I go, ew, <laughs> like then I know it's a good, it's a good suggestion. Um, so my experience is um, I met someone who was really nice and we got married and, uh, you know, it just was this constant thing of like, I'll be happy when, like, like, I'll be happy when we get married. I'll be happy when we get a nice house. I'll be happy when we have a kid. I'll be happy. And um, we had this kid and I was sitting in the nursery and I was like looking at his little sweet face. And I just remember like looking into his eyes and I was like, oh my God. All I need is a career. <laughs> and, um, and then like when, when that wasn't like the minute my kid wasn't enough, I was like, oh, yeah. oh, it's never going to be enough. I'm never going to bring something to my alcoholism, the altar of my alcoholism. Be like, I got this thing and my alcoholism is never going to be like, well done. I got nothing. My disease is always going to say, you're not going to get what you want. You're going to lose what you have. And it always, I think I'm like, no, it's fancier than that. But it always boils down to that. It's always that. And my thing is like, oh, I have the life I want, but I'm not living it correctly. You know, in the pandemic, right? I was just like, I was not one of the sourdough bread people. And um, I just wasn't. I wanted to be. I looked at them, you know. Um, I, I was a, a, you know, a mom. And like, I, before the pandemic, I would say like 30 minutes of screen time and that's it. During the pandemic, I was, this came out of my mouth. Seven hours today, and that's it. Oh, okay, one, one more game, one more game. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I was working, I like, I couldn't keep it all together. And, um, and I had that, like, compare and despair, like, I'm not enough, you know? I recently just had a time, uh, the past five months where I wasn't working, and, um, you know, and I'm really harsh on myself for not like, like I'm the type of person, if I have like a couple hours, I'm like, why didn't I write a book, you know? Um, and so it's just, it's not enough is up, right? And so I am not enough 
for me, but I used to have this higher power. I mean, I had this um, sponsor who said like, you have a higher, a higher power who loves you like crazy, exactly as you are today. And it, all it is is your job is to just check in with that higher power every day and say, hi, you know, it doesn't have to be more than that. Just like, hi, you know, help. And at the end of the day, thanks, you know, um, or, oh, well, is it someone says, I forget who, but um, like, and, and so that is, um, that's sort of my experience. So, you know, when I had 22 years of sobriety, right, I, um, I had an experience where there's this guy, Phil, he said this thing that really helped me. He said, I have a disease of alcoholism and it's going to get treated. It's going to get treated with drugs and alcohol, or it's going to get treated with God and the steps, or it's going to find another way. And I had just come through a lot of grief in my family. We had lost my, um, my husband's mother extremely suddenly and my father extremely not suddenly a year and three days apart. And that kind of grief, right? I'm one of those people that's like, you know what? Like we're going to have, we'll have the funeral and we'll like, I'll do the memorial and I'll get it all organized. And like, and, um, and you know, like, I, I remember with my dad, it's like, I don't feel my feelings in real time. So like with my dad, I didn't, I didn't cry. And, um, and then like a couple months after he died, I was looking for a belt, like this little black belt. And I, I kept it in a drawer and I couldn't find it. And my husband came in and I was crying, scream crying. Like, it's not fair. It's not fair. I can't find this belt. And like, luckily, like he knew it wasn't about the belt. And he let me cry for two hours about the belt. Right. And, uh, and he's like, it's not, it's not about the belt. I'm like, it is about the belt. I cannot find it. And it's not fair. And he's like, okay. And, um, at the end of the two hours, I was like, maybe it's not about the belt. And, uh, he went and he opened the drawer and it was there, you know, and, um, we called it going black belt crazy. And, um, <laughs> but I always say to my friends, like when they lose someone and they haven't cried yet, I'm like, it may happen that like a week from now or three months from now or a year from now, you're going to drop potato chips and you're going to have this huge reaction that makes no sense. And when that happens, I just say like, let yourself cry, let yourself cry, whether it's for five minutes or, you know, pull over if you, you know, be safe, but then let yourself cry. Um, and, uh, because it's not about the potato chips and we don't always feel our feelings in real time. And, um, and it doesn't always like, it's not like highlights magazine where, you know, like for that it, you, as a kid, like in the dentist's office, it was like peanut butter goes with jelly. It's like, for me, it's like, I can't find my belt <laughs> goes to my dad died, you know? And, uh, that's, that's a direct line for me. So grief is weird. And like, I find as an alcoholic or as a human being, like I, I am so compassionate with like what you're going through. I'm like, Oh, it sounds like you're going through a lot, but I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I have this big job and I'm, it's like putting rocks in a backpack, you know, um, like my, at this big job and um, my mother-in-law died really suddenly. And she was like my son's third parent and the caregiver. And then my dad had a slow and agonizing death. And, uh, you know, like, I don't know why my back hurts. Like I'm such an ass jerk or whatever. Sorry. And, um, I never, um, but, 
I'm going to, the whole drive, it doesn't matter what I said tonight. I'm going to be like, I can't believe I cursed from the podium. Text me. I'll be like, I'm just, I've just thought about it 750 times. Um, so um, anyway, it's that thing of like, I have all these rocks in my backpack. I have all these reasons to have feelings. And then I think what's wrong with me that my, that I'm having an experience. And like, the thing about it is, I believe in alcoholic thinking, I do. But more than that, I believe like we're just people, like we're having a human experience here and like everybody hurts, everybody has fear. Every We don't have to be alcoholics to have that. But for me, it's more, my alcoholic thinking for me is acute and like yeah. endless and like I'm very sensitive. But my problem is I get into alcoholic solutions. <laughs> And my alcoholic solutions, when I don't run them by anyone, is what gets oh, me. Oh, yeah, baby. Hi. <laughs> You're not muted. There you go. Okay. And um, so um, I was afraid it was going to be like this morning. Anyway. Um, um, what was I saying? Alcoholic solutions. Um, you know, my solutions are like, oh, this person didn't call me back. They hate me. I'm never going to call them again. You know, like, um, and um, when I have 10, I have what, like five minutes? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So let me just get, so, so, um, so, so I have 22 years of sobriety. The wheels fall off the bus. All the things that used to work aren't working. And uh, I don't know what's happening. And, um, and I'm sort of treating alcoholism with things that are not drugs and alcohol, but are other things, you know? And if we stick around here long enough, like we get that experience of usually a lot of us have problems other than alcohol, or, um, you know, you have a thing happen where it's like a loss or um, just a thing that you thought was unfathomable that you would ever be able to go through. And like, I have seen people walk through fire sober and the way they do it is that they are honest about where they are and they don't have to do anything along. And that, you know, has been my experience. So just to fast forward really quickly, like I had this whole sort of breakdown in sobriety and what I did was I went through the steps again and I let myself cry. And in going through the steps again, I realized that I had a second step problem. I believed that a higher power could restore me to sanity, but I also thought so many other things could. I thought, you know, relationships could. And yeah, also God, but also, you know, that sweater, you know, that job, that tile in a kitchen, like all I need is, and, um, and it was always eluding me. And then I was like, got into what I'd be willing to do. And what I was willing to do, I wrote down, for my third step, I'm willing to be uncomfortable. And it was the first time I had said that, like I'm willing to be uncomfortable. And um, I started meditating 20 minutes a day. I'd never been able to do that before, but I was so desperate that I was meditating 20 minutes a day. And um, I went through and I, I did a, a four step. I did this like, you know, I bought this big notebook and I thought this notebook is too big. Like I have a lot of time. I don't have this many. 200 pages I wrote of resentments, right? And um, I filled the whole thing. And uh, 
And the thing about that 200 pages is that I was carrying that with me everywhere. I don't mean the literal book. I mean, the feelings like it was, I was bringing it in every interaction. I was, that is why I would, I would get upset if someone cut me off or if, you know, because it was this thing, it didn't have to do with the person. It had to do like, if you have like a cut on, if you, if you get lemon juice on your arm and you don't have a cut, it doesn't hurt. But if you have a cut, it does. And I had this pre-existing wound, which is I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. And so like any little thing that you did got in there and hurt me in this big way. And then I would react, you know, there's that thing in the book that talks about like, um, you know, where did I make a decision based on self that set me up to be hurt later on? And that was like, that's how I find what, what I did all the time. It's like, I always think there's a shortcut or there's a way around the feelings, or I don't want to be mean, or I don't want to say the wrong thing, or if only I could just, you know, and that is always the thing that causes a problem that sets me up to be hurt later on. And then in the fifth step, I get to turn that over to a sponsor and have her say, me too. I've done that too. And the beautiful thing, you don't know it when you give your first fifth step, but when you hear your first fifth step, you know that a person walks through your door that you already love. They tell you the worst things they've ever done, the worst things they've ever said. And when, as they're leaving, you're like, oh my God, I love them more. <laughs> like the beauty that we get here. Six and seven step, right? I get to like write down all my defects of character, which I'm fine with that. Like I'd love to be perfect. But then the minute I'm like, oh, like one of my defects is like, that would mean I need to get out of bed on time. Like I have no interest. Like I'm not into character building because it is inconvenient. <laughs> and, um, you know, I did an eight step list and I uh, got it. eight step list and I made amends. And I realized I hadn't made amends to everyone when I first came in. And I like with nine months, you know, I mean, in my ninth step made amends to people from like my high, my college roommate from like so many years, she was so over it. But the, uh, the real amends was like, ah, that's fine. The real amends that were hard were the daily ones, the ones, of, the people who were in my life all the time who were getting my leftovers, right? And like, um, and the beauty is like, I got to do the 11th step and that helped me to walk through the world gentle, you know? So I wasn't experiencing something like there was that movie, The Revenant, where like the, the, the like Leonardo DiCaprio like gets ripped by a bear. Like that's how I, that's how I felt all the time. Like, I was being ripped apart by a bear, even though you were like, all I said was, why didn't you text me back? And I'm like, I don't know, it hurts so much, you know? <laughs> and with meditation, I was able to like narrate, like, oh, this person has had their feelings hurt and they're just asking you for something more, you know, like I just, there was a buffer. And then in the 12 step, like I got to like carry this into all my affairs, which like I did not realize meant that I could practice these principles at home. And so like I had a, you know, I took a commitment in my home, right? I took a commitment in my home. Like I took the coffee commitment and the greeter commitment. And, um, and I'm out of time. So I, there's more, but um, can I just say one more thing? Um, after I did the steps, one of the things that someone had told me was, my friend John N said, you're going to go through the steps. He, he has this prayer. God, help me to go through the steps to find my way, not get my way. My last time through the steps, I was trying to save my marriage. After doing the steps, after meditation, after years and years of trying, I finally came to this like realization that I couldn't stay in a marriage 
to a man and be authentic. And so with 24 years of sobriety, with a teenage son, I came out, I had to tell my husband that I was leaving the marriage. It was so painful. It was so incredibly painful for everybody. And I will say that that was two years ago. And in that time, I was like, how is this ever going to work out? Like, how, how am I not like destroying everything? And how is this possibly going to unfold in a, in a way? And because of my friend Kay always says this thing, like Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon did not save my marriage, but it did save my family. I have walked through fire in the last two years. My family has walked through fire. It has been really painful and also incredibly beautiful. There is nothing that you have to face in this program that you have to walk through alone. And there is definitely somebody who has walked through it before you and will hold your hand through it. So that is my experience. I'm sure it'll be yours. Thank you for the extra minute and thank you for listening.